Hi guys, this is Erica Weston with Fox Sports Midwest, and you're listening to my favorite St. Louis Blues hockey podcast, Let's Go Blues Radio. Hi there, everyone. I'm Haley Wickenheiser, and this is Let's Go Blues Radio, past to the future. I need one win. What are you going to do to get me that? Selfish hockey. That's right. Selfish hockey. Break it down. Skate the puck. Don't pass it. Headman's still going to be there when you catch up, boy. Take it coast to coast. Shots from poor angles are still shots. Fucking a half, two minute shifts, three minutes even. Cruise the blue line to catch your breath. Bad balance, that's a good breakaway. Gotta get the bounces, boys. Hey everybody, uh, thanks for tuning in to Let's Go Blues Radio, the original blues hockey podcast. Uh, this is your host, Jeff Ponder, not joined by Kurt and Bill this week, but uh, news on that at the end of the episode if you stay tuned. Uh, first of all, we are in Season 9, Episode 5 of Let's Go Blues Radio, Franchise Episode number 271, and again, this is the original St. Louis Blues Hockey Podcast. So at the top of the show, uh, before we get into the meet, I want to uh, give a big congrats to any family or friends of Pat Maroon that witnessed, uh, and of course Pat Maroon himself, that witnessed him win the Stanley Cup uh, for the second straight year, this time with the the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Big fan of Pat Maroon. We've talked about him a lot on the show. Uh, Okay with him not coming back this year, but uh, always going to be a fan of his St. Louis boy. Uh, so congrats to him and his family. Very, very cool to see him raise the cup again. And then, of course, to Kevin Shattenkirk as well, former Blue. Uh, really big part of their turnaround in 2011. So uh, congrats to them and congrats to any uh, Lightning fans that might actually be listening to this show. Also, a big congratulations goes out to the winner of the 2020 NHL Bracket Challenge, uh, the Let's Go Blues NHL Bracket Challenge. Uh, the winner is... Here we go. Undefined 1597087641.1. Whoever filled that out did not put in a name, so uh, time to claim it. I will uh, ask you a couple questions to verify it's you, but uh, yes, if you are undefined in our bracket challenge, you won. So congratulations. If I don't hear from you in the next two weeks, I will uh, just move on to the second place winner. And, of course, the winner gets a free T-shirt from the letsgoblues.com shop over at letsgoblues.com slash shop. So, again, undefined, 159-7087-641.1. If that sounds familiar to you, you fill out the bracket and do not put a name. You're our winner. So, congratulations. Well, we're going to do this show a little differently than normal. Yes, this is our final Past to the Future show, so a big thanks goes out to everyone who's been involved in it. It has been such a fun series, and we'll get to that actually a little later. But uh, we're actually going to do things a little differently. We're going to start the show with some prospect talk. So first, uh, we're going to be talking about Colton Ellis, and then we're also going to be talking about Dakota Joshua, two uh, Blues draft picks uh, that uh, will actually... Joshua was not a Blues draft pick. He was uh, he was signed as a free agent from the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, but uh, still prospect nonetheless. 
and we talked to David Sis from the Puck Authority about both those players. So we uh, we did these before the Stanley Cup was handed out, long before uh, before the Blues even went into the bubble. And so I wanted to go ahead and get these interviews out. So if you're interested in hearing about goaltender Colton Ellis and forward Dakota Joshua, uh, now is the time to hear them from David Sis of the Puck Authority. And then after that, uh, stay tuned because we're going to have a little special uh, recap, I guess, of this uh, this special edition of Let's Go Blues Radio past to the future. So stay tuned after those interviews. But but right now, let's hear from David Sis. Let's Go Blues Radio past to the future. I am again joined by, uh, I think now we can call him a friend of the show, David Sis, co-founder of thepuckauthority.com. He has come on to talk about uh, Colton Ellis, a goaltender, uh, who plays with uh, Ramuski of uh, Q, the Q, the Q, as people call it, the QMJHL. Uh, David, thank you very much for coming on the show again. Thanks for having me again. Yes. Uh, and I, I, am I saying this right? Ramuski Oceanic. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Yep. That, that is the Q team that he plays for. And I asked that because there's a, I believe that's an accent grave, right? That's uh, over the E. I believe so. Wow. I believe so. I, I pulled that one out of my ass. Uh, well, don't so, worry, you won't have to be saying that much longer. He was just traded to the Islanders. So, oh well, there you go. I didn't yeah, know that he'll be playing with uh, Nikita Alexandrov. So, oh, that's great. Somebody we've already talked about on the show. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Good to hear. I, I, I guess I missed that. I think I did the research on this before that happened. So, yeah, good to hear. Um, so he's a third rounder, uh, number 93 overall when he was drafted, which I don't have the draft year in front of me. I'm hoping you do. Uh, yeah, no, it was, um, last year, last year, 2019. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so drafted, uh, in the third round, 93rd overall in 2019. And I apologize for not having the draft year. I, <laughs> I must've done this in a rush. Uh, <laughs> he was ranked eighth overall among North American goaltenders by NHL central scouting. Uh, not really a big goalie at six foot one, but uh, from what I've read, he does use his size uh, that he does have to cover all of his angles. Um, so, kind of uh, a, a blanket question here about Colton Ellis. Um, what do you like most about uh, about his goaltending style? I like his athleticism. First of all, I think that's what's going to get him to the pros, along with. His character, I think that's, with goalies, I've always found that it's all about opportunity. I mean, even St. Louis Blues goalie is a perfect example. Look at Bennington. It's all about the opportunity he was given, right? And I think that's something that uh, Ellis hopefully will be given a lot of. He has a lot of skill. Uh, Really, I think the athleticism that allows him to, you know, move very quickly from one end of the crease to the other, uh, to, you know, make these big saves. You know, he's not obviously the tallest or biggest goaltender in the game, but he has that athleticism that makes up for his size. He knows how to cover the net. He, you know, he does play pretty far out of his crease, I'd say, at times. At Some would say pretty aggressively. He favors one side over the other at times, which, you know, there are times when you could say gets him a little bit out of position, but he's a fast guy. He can get back very quickly, so it doesn't typically pose as a problem. No, that was my next question for you was, um, you know, mm-hmm. Blues fans, uh, we we love and we hate our goaltenders here in St. Louis. <laughs> and I think it's probably the same across all leagues, all uh, all teams. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, a name comes to mind, Brian Elliott, that 
Uh, he was loved and hated at the same time. Either you were a huge fan of his or you did not like his style at all. <laughs> and I think part of that was just because he was a goalie who played kind of on his goal line, uh, wasn't mm-hmm. really aggressive, just kind of relied on going back and forth and and uh, uh, keeping his skates right there on the goal line and uh, making the saves as the puck come to him. But then you see a guy, like you said, Jordan Biddington, guy that uh, plays at the edge of his crease. He comes out when he can. He plays the puck in uh, a very aggressive style, which that's the kind of goaltending I love as well, although I did love Brian Elliott. I don't want to uh, to, to overlook that, but uh, Jordan Biddington is, uh, is that type of goalie, and that's what we love to see. So uh, would you say uh, in terms of NHL comparables, obviously Biddington's a, a higher end at this point, but uh, if you could think of somebody he plays like in the NHL, who would it be? I mean, for goalies in particular, I've always found it uh, hard to judge comparables. I think goalies are very tough to scout. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he does kind of have that aggressiveness uh, to his game where he plays at the edge of his crease, somewhat like Bennington, I would say. Uh, obviously, it's not um, to the same extent as of yet, but he does have that kind of um, style to his game. Uh, one thing I kind of notice about him with his athleticism, the way in which he is able to quickly move from one end to another, you can compare it to a guy like Jonathan Quick in terms of the style. I'm not not the skill per se, but just the style about how, you know, they might play at an edge of their crease, but they're very quick to move. And that's how they kind of beat out a lot of players. So I think he combines a few elements of different goaltenders, but it's really the athleticism and speed that, um, will get him to the next level, besides from his character. So um, not a great puck handler was something I read uh, multiple times from um, from other writers and scouts and such, uh, especially when he was drafted. Uh, would you agree with that, that uh, that's something he could probably improve in his game? Look, puck handling is definitely not the uh, biggest strength of his game. Uh, definitely, you know, I think something he could he will have to improve upon. And I think he'll be given a lot of opportunities to, uh, he doesn't really play the puck too much. So it's never been a area. It's never really been a pressing need for him. I don't think because it's not something that, you know, is obviously a major part of his game, but it's definitely, you know, in the next year, I'd say with the Islanders, something he should probably be focusing on in order to hopefully make it to the AHL next couple of seasons. So, uh, again, talking about um, uh, a goalie playing in the QMJHL, he actually has some pretty decent numbers for uh, in a league that uh, maybe you don't see a lot of great goalie numbers. 904 save percentage this past season, 241 GAA, 18-7-3. Um, again, you know, goaltending, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot, and, and you can say that probably about most prospects on whether this – those are going to translate to NHL numbers. But, um, you know, if you look at the goaltenders in the QMJHL, uh, where does he rank? Is he one of the upper echelon goalies? Is he middle of the pack? Where do you put him? I probably put him a bit, uh, probably one of the higher tier goalies. I mean, obviously with junior, uh, you can have a goalie who, you know, doesn't have a great season statistically, but is still a very good goaltender in terms of their skill. I think when it comes to major junior, I mean, a lot of the times the best goalies, you know, don't always have the greatest years. I mean, Ellis did have a pretty good year. I mean, it was a little bit of a down year from 
uh, the previous season where he had a 0.910 save percentage in, I believe it was 40, uh, 48 games, I want to say. I could be uh, mixing. Oh, it was 46 games, actually. But he had a very good save percentage the year before. Um, and then we saw as he got a little older uh, and played less games, it was a bit down, a few points down from the previous year. But again, with goalies, I feel like uh, it's it's pretty much a crapshoot, I would say. Uh, you know, one year a goalie could be great, the next year declines a little bit, but it doesn't really deter from his skill set. He's a top goalie in the league. As we saw, the Islanders paid a big price to acquire him this year. He's known as one of the best goalies in the league because of not only his athleticism and skill set, but also his character. So, um, again, this is uh, uh, Colton Ellis talking about goaltender uh, playing in the queue right now. Um, number three, I'm sorry, round three, number 93 overall in this last draft. Uh, Colton Ellis, a, a guy that fans are excited about, I think, and scouts are excited about. But at the same time, you look at the Blues depth chart, and, you know, we've talked about him a couple times here already. Jordan Biddington is ahead of the chart. And right now, uh, Jake Allen is his backup and, and you know, potentially could be still coming back next season. Then you've got guys like Billy Huso and uh, Evan Fitzpatrick and Joel Hofer, another guy that we've talked about on this show uh, currently with uh, the Portland Winterhawks and the WHL. So he's got quite the mountain to climb to mm-hmm. get his way into the NHL. And, and I know prospects, you know, they could be trade chips at any time. But do you think... If he makes it to the NHL, do you see it be? Do you, I mean, just a completely clairvoyant question, but uh, do you see it with the Blues, or do you think they maybe move on from him since they have uh, such a strong goaltending depth right now? I think it's going to depend on how long it takes. I mean, all goalies take, uh, not every goalie, you know, makes it to the NHL at the same age. If he can, if he makes it to that level in the next, I'd say, uh, four years. I think there's a good chance he will be traded or whoever the backup is for the team, for the Blues then will be traded because Bennington is likely still going to be the starter as he's only, what, 27 right now? He's still got a lot of gas left in the tank. If he makes it, uh, if he proves that he's good enough in the AHL, which I do think is a solid possibility after, I'd say, two or three years of development up there, he definitely could, you know, prove that he is at least worthy of a backup job in St. Louis. And if, you know, they like their backup, whoever, if, whether it's Allen, whether it's Hofer, Huso, whoever it is at the time, he could very well be traded to a team in need of a, a backup goaltender. Would you want him on Toronto? Because that's your <laughs> team, right? Are you a Toronto guy? I am actually a Habs fan. <laughs> okay, well then would you yeah. take him on Montreal right now? I would take anyone on Montreal. No, I, <laughs> um, I, I really, I'm a big fan of Caden Primo right now. I think after Carey Price, he, you know, has the potential to lead the team going forward. But obviously, goaltenders, very hard to predict. You can always use some good prospects there. So I would not be opposed to the Habs uh, getting him down the line. <laughs> And we are in the future segment of today's show, uh, Let's Go Blues Radio, Past to the Future. I'm again joined by friend of the show, David Sis, co-founder of thepuckauthority.com. Today we're going to be talking about Dakota Joshua, who spent four years at uh, Ohio State University, originally originally 
not a draft pick of the St. Louis Blues, drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs in the fifth round, 128th overall, but he was acquired by the Blues on July 12th, 2019, in a trade with Toronto for future considerations. Right after that, signed a two-year, two-way entry-level contract after the trade. Uh, but uh, more importantly, we've got David Sis here joining the show. David, thank you very much for coming back on again. Thanks for having me. Good. Yeah. You laugh because, you know, we're not recording all of these at once. We're not doing all these interviews at once. We're we, these are spaced out by a couple days. That's at least what I'm going to tell people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So again, uh, Dakota Joshua, six foot two, 198 pounds, fifth round pick uh, is a center 24 from Dearborn, Michigan. Um, And again, just a a not very high pick and and a, a not, really drafted by the blues wasn't really on their radar until they signed him uh last year so what can you tell us about dakota joshua obviously you know he's a big guy uh spent his first year this year playing professional hockey after a pretty good career at ohio state in the ncaa uh also played uh, in the ushl had a pretty good career up there uh this year i mean he got a taste of professional hockey playing splitting the season between the ECHL, the Tulsa Oilers, and the uh, AHL. And he did, I mean, it definitely took some time for him to, you know, find his game up there. And he still obviously, you know, has some room for development. It's going to take time. But uh, he's definitely a project, but one that has some solid potential to be a solid depth player at the professional level, whether it's the AHL, or maybe he uh, finds himself in the NHL at some point. Yeah, so again, you mentioned uh, that he played professional hockey this past year, um, played 30 games for the Rampage, and then 20 games in the ECHL for Tulsa. Uh, in the ECHL, 11 points in 20 games, uh, 30 games in the for the Rampage, 7 points, 3 goals, 4 assists. Uh, but uh, his four years at Ohio State, I think, is what kind of Caught the Blues' eye, and as you said, this is a uh, a project player most likely, but uh, he was a member of the second senior class in the history of Ohio State men's hockey to make three NCAA tournament appearances, including a trip to the Frozen Four in 2018, which uh, was the second in program history. Uh, during that run, uh, he earned uh, NCAA Midwest uh, regional all-tournament team accolades after helping lead the Buckeyes victories against Princeton and defending champion Denver on their way to the Frozen Four. He won 66.7% of his face-offs and uh, blocked three shots and opened the scoring against Denver in their game against them. So um, it seems, and, and everything I've read about this kid, is one of his biggest strengths is face-offs. So uh, if he makes the NHL, it's going to likely be as a center um, so again, is, is, would you, was that a correct assumption that yeah. he's kind of a face-off specialist, like a Jared Stoll from the past? I would say so. I mean, face-offs are definitely go, if he does end up making it to the NHL, it, he will be definitely relied upon, uh, in the face-off dot for sure. Um, so in terms of his offensive game, obviously, you know, maybe he's, he's more of a, again, Blues fans may remember a Mike Eastwood type player, a guy that can play on your third or fourth lines. But uh, what can he do offensively? Is he much of an offensive stud, or is he just kind of a guy that can score the timely goal here and there? I think 
I think you're right in terms of, you know, he can score those timely goals here and there. I'm not sure that he's going to be a major offensive presence by any means. I think we'll more see, we're going to see him in more of a bottom. Uh, if he does make the NHL, it'll be in a bottom six, you know, uh, kind of face-off, more of a defensive role as well, kind of the guy they put on the ice when they really need to win a face-off uh, and play more of a defensive game. The reason why I don't see him being the biggest offensive kind of guy is the fact that, I mean, yeah, we saw him put up some good stats on Ohio, which was very impressive. I mean, especially at the NCAA level, he was a very uh, solid player offensively. I mean, he went above a point per game, uh, at times during his career up there. So he definitely showed a lot of offensive promise there. However, uh, I mean, so far in the pros, I mean, it was just his first year. And, you know, in the ECHL, he started to find his game more offensively. I mean, I'm hoping that next year, uh, if given a, given more opportunities, more minutes to play in the AHL, he might be able to, you know, put up more points. But what I really like about him is his versatility. I think we can see him, used in a lot of different ways. He's the kind of guy that, you know, he can be put on the ice in pretty much any situation and someone that coaches will use when they need a player that can adapt to different situations. You know, he's someone that uh, that coaches will want to use depending on, or in whatever kind of situation. He's very versatile, has a, you know, large skill set and a lot of raw potential up there. So again, um, uh, player that played for uh, Ohio State University four years, he earned Ohio State Scholar, Athlete, and Academic All Big Ten honors, uh, studying in the sport industry. So uh, seems like he's probably a pretty intelligent guy. Does that show off pretty well in the rink? For sure, it, it's the kind of uh, he plays a kind of smart game that allows him to maybe not excel at one area of the ice but someone who knows how to play in all situations. If you need him to score those big, timely goals, uh, you know, he can do that. I'm not going to say that he's he would be the Blues' best option for scoring those big, timely goals, but he's definitely someone that, you know, can be used uh, in a wide variety of situations, whether it's on the penalty kill, whether it's, you know, during those last minute of play on the uh, extra with the man advantage. You know, he's... Coaches will want to use him in a bunch of different situations, whether that be in his own zone or uh, in the offensive zone. So, uh, it's it, again, it's an interesting prospect to talk about because he was not actually drafted by the Blues, drafted by mm-hmm. the Maple Leafs. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I look at that trade, and it's, it's just for future considerations, which, you know, could easily just turn out to be a sixth or a seventh-round pick or, a, uh, you know, whatever it might be, another minor leaguer in the future. But... Um, Toronto, you know, a lot of people look at looked at that trade. I remember when that happened, people saying, oh, great, another guy that's never going to make the NHL on the Blues roster, you know, that kind of talk. But I look at Toronto much like the Blues that, um, you know, maybe it's the fact that uh, they've got a couple centers locked up long term. Uh, they don't need to worry about, uh, you know, any future prospects coming up at center at this point. Uh, but then again, you can say the same thing about the St. Louis Blues. So um, just in your opinion, from what you've seen of, of Dakota Joshua, and again, you're you're based in Toronto, so I'm sure you've seen plenty of Maple Leafs games. Uh, why do you think Toronto was willing to uh, kind of give him away for future considerations? 
I mean, I think a lot of it is the fact that, you know, he didn't really have a future on the team in regards to that roster outlook. Uh, mm. The fact that right now they've got Tavares locked up long-term. They've got Matthews locked up long-term. Uh, you know, obviously, I don't think Joshua was ever going to be considered to be part of that uh, top six. But really, I don't think that his style of play... Well, they have Frederick Gauthier. So I, they have that big forward that they're going to use, you know, to win face-offs and be more of a bigger defensive presence on the ice. And I think with him kind of getting more and more trust by his coaching staff, I think that they didn't really see as much of a need to keep uh, Joshua on the roster. They just didn't see him fitting in or having a real future in the NHL by any means, which is why the, they traded him for virtually nothing. Yeah. Uh, again, we'll see what that materializes if it if it does ever materialize into anything. Um, but uh, again, we're talking Dakota Joshua uh, from Dearborn, Michigan, a center at 24. Uh, David, thank you very much for joining the show again. Uh, again, David Sis, co-founder of the puckauthority.com. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, let, in case anybody didn't hear you the first couple times, uh, how can people uh, find you on social media and how can they find your work online? Uh, you can find my work at thepuckauthority.com. Uh, we have a lot of different prospect uh, uh, articles up there. So if you ever you know, have any questions about a prospect, we probably have an article uh, with everything you need to know on that player. Um, you could also find me on Twitter at David underscore Sis. Uh, Sis is C-I-S-S in case there was any <laughs> confusion up there. So you told me in a previous episode that you're a Canadiens fan. Um, yes. Who is a uh, who's a prospect that maybe uh, Blues fans should be looking out for to be coming up with the Canadiens in the next couple of years? Well, probably one of the most uh, one big name that you're probably going to be hearing a lot about within the next week or two is going to be Alexander Romanov. Uh, solid defenseman, played the last couple of seasons in the KHL. Yeah, I, he's going to be in the NHL. I'd say next season. Uh, bearing any big changes. He is a player that uh going to be a big defensive defenseman for that franchise and someone I'm very excited to see. Awesome. Well, thank you very much again for joining the show t- today, David. Thanks for having me. Hey, everybody. Well, if you're, uh, if you're podcasting, uh, I'm coming to you after some prospect talk. And if you're just watching this video on YouTube or Facebook, uh, first of all, welcome. Uh, second of all, make sure you check out the podcast uh, for the said prospect talk. Uh, I'm coming to you from my backyard on this lovely fall evening. Uh, and uh, what a summer it's been though, for Let's Go Blues Radio. Yes, Blues season did not end the way we wanted it to. But uh, we ran a series here called Past to the Future. Uh, it's uh, obviously a play on Back to the Future. Um, we had uh, alumni on for the first half of the show prospects on for the second half this is the one episode that's a little different this is one of the most fun projects i've ever worked on uh we've had two of the biggest guests uh this show's ever had and probably will ever have uh grant fjord and bernie federko in fact uh my conversation with bernie which was just one of the most fun times i've had discussing a guy about his career a hall of famer uh we talked about how even though he didn't win a cup uh if he could do it all again for the St. Louis Blues, would he do it? He would. No, I would do it all again. I mean, I'd like to have you know some control on the things that that maybe didn't happen. I mean, 
I look back at our team in 80-81 when we, you know, challenged the New York Islanders when we finished with 107 points. We had a great hockey club, and it's a shame that we weren't able to keep that hockey club together and, and, and you know, um, get two or three chances at the Islanders in, in the next two or three years with, with the same team. But, uh, no, I mean, I, I'm i very proud that I was uh, a part of the St. Louis Blues for 13 years. I wish it would have never happened that it was traded to Detroit. I mean, that was not my control. Um you know, I, I think that you see nowadays, I mean, that doesn't really happen unless the player wants it to happen because um, you guys have got no trade clauses. They've got no movement clauses. This that. We never had any of that stuff. We had no free agency. We had anything. So we were totally out of control all the time. But, um, no, I would have never changed anything else. I would love to have, as we just talked about, guys like Grammer and, and you know, Joey and all these guys, Ludi, all these guys be able to stick around. And, and I think that we would have had an honest chance at a cup. But uh, you know what? Uh, such what happens when in, the, in business, such what happens when you had, you know, so many ownership changes. And I think that's always uh, a factor. I mean, you know, we went from the Solomons to, you know, to uh, Ralston to Harry Ernest and, of course, to Mike Shanahan. And then since then, you know, there's been a number of changes. And, and I think that finally, you know, there is a local group here headed by, you know, Tom Stillman that has a lot of great, uh, you know, investors here that are, that are St. Louis's that, that said, hey, enough's enough. We're going to go for the gusto here, and we're going to put everything together and win a cup. And that's exactly what happened last year. He also discussed how playing for a small market city kept him from kind of being a household name in hockey. Yeah, again, we're not a you know big market t- town. You know, at the time, uh, I think that you you know look at the National Hockey League during all those years. I mean, uh, basically, it was the teams that from Canada. I mean, there was no television. I mean, what we had half a dozen games on TV. Um, every year, you know, during those years. So we didn't get a lot of exposure. So I mean, when we got to play in Canada, Hockey Night in Canada once a year, Toronto once a year, and Montreal, that's really the only time that anybody else, you know, really saw us play. So, um, you know, when you're in a small market uh, town, uh, small, small market team, it, it really sometimes can be very frustrating. And I, you know, I kind of went through that you know, through my career. I mean, um, you know, I played against the same players as everybody else did, and my numbers are uh, probably better than, than most uh, of the, the rest of the guys that, that, that I played against. So, I mean, it, that's not up to me. I said that, you know, so many times is that, I mean, there was a lot of great players in the league. And uh, I think in our days with all-star games, there was only, you know, you went nowadays, they don't go by, you know, what position you play. You're the forward or defenseman, and they picked the all-star game based on that. In, in our day, it was four centers, four wingers, you know, left wingers, four right wingers. So, um, you know, there was a lot of good center ice that I made that I don't feel belittled by any means by not, you know, being behind them. And, you know, guys like Dennis Savard, Brian Trache, and, you know, Dale Howard, and Wayne Gretzky, and Bessie. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, it was frustrating during those times. I mean, I was, what, I think I finished the top 10 scorers eight times and still was only on a couple of all-star, uh, you know, teams. But that's just the way it is. And, uh, you know, you can't promote yourself. It takes somebody else to do that. And it's the press that uh, really kind of controls that. And we had, what, one newspaper and, you know, what, six games on TV on KPLR. It's, it's pretty hard to get <laughs> the name out and the recognition, but that's all you got. We also had Ken Wilson on, former Blues broadcaster and, uh, you know, the oh baby guy. Uh, and uh, he talked about his departure in great detail with the St. Louis Blues back in 2005. So I had a number of things going on, and I said to the folks at Fox, I said, you know, that's really bogus. I said, you know, 
going to the morning skate, is that making me a better broadcaster? I mean, is there something wrong with my broadcast? No, no, your broadcasts are great. It's just that some of the blues personnel think you ought to show up and go to every skate. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I just, uh, you know, it's difficult for me to see that. Okay. Yeah. And they said, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to work through this. Have the blues talk to you? I said, no, no one's talked to me. And uh, I said, well, work through it. And they were going to get back to me. And I was sitting with my idea, and they were going to get back to me. And I got a call one morning. I can't remember from whom. I think it was uh, Jack Donovan, the head of Fox Sports Midwest. Okay. And, uh, and it might not have been, but I believe it was. And he said, and I, I was waiting for them to get back to me, right? Uh, and he said, uh, the Blues are going to announce a new broadcaster this afternoon. I said, oh, really? Wow. Really? I said, really? He said, yeah, they, 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 against our wishes, they've decided to hire John Kelly. Hmm. I said, oh, really? Really? Well, okay. Good enough. Well, I've already told you that any time the Blues called and asked me to do anything, I'd be happy to do it. Yeah. And it, 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 it was true in 1984. It was true in 2004, and it's true today. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I got a call from the Blues front office. Would you, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have these three games, you know, throwback jersey. And we're going to do some spots and play some things at the arena. Would you come back and do this for us? I said I'd be delighted. We even welcomed on his longtime partner in the booth, Joe Micheletti. Uh, and he talked about his time with the Blues as both a broadcaster, a player, and even as a coach. Uh, but he told a great tale about uh, his old Minnesota coach, Herb Brooks. Uh, here's the relationship that I had with Herb. When I was a senior in high school growing up in northern Minnesota, and Herb came to our to our house, it's about a four-hour drive from Minneapolis-St. Paul up to Hibbing, Minnesota, where I, where I grew up. And you know, I, Herb came up because he wanted to talk to me about you know going to the University of Minnesota. And he spent... Uh, he spent the first hour that he was there with my parents. And then he spent about 30 seconds with me and said, good to see you. We'll be in touch and left. And so, wow. so but that was, that was, that was Herb. You know, he wanted to make sure that the family knew that if their, if their son was going to be involved with his program, uh, he wanted the parents to know what he was all about. Now, one of the more touching moments uh, we had on the show was when I had Lubos Bartechko on, former Blues left winger, and uh, he actually told us about how he found out about his friend Pavel Dimitra and his unfortunate demise in the locomotive crash uh, back in 2011 that touched so many of us hockey fans. Well, it was, I, I found out like in like, um, they were supposed to, they were supposed to fly into, um, and play a game with, against our team in my hometown where I was playing. And he was I did in, not know that. in there. So he texted me, you know, like we talked the night before. He's like, Hey, uh, I'm, we're going there. We're going to have, can you get me, um, 
you know, a, a box for my family. And, and uh, so they're coming in to see me and I'm like, for sure. Absolutely. So I got him a box, you know, got him everything. And then in the morning before they were taking off on that flight, he texted me, you know, everything's all set and all that stuff, you know? So we were talking he was like, yeah, you know, and I was, I, I was practice. I had practice that morning. So I was at the practice you know, and then after practice, like, you know, I was looking at my phone and, you know, I, I had a message, whatever. So I, I responded. And then and then all of a sudden, uh, one of my teammates ran up to my car and is like, do you know what happened? I'm like, no, what happened? He's like, yeah, the plane went down. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, plane went down. And I was like, I literally like it froze me. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. And I picked up my phone and I called Pavel and straight you know, like, I just didn't know what to do. Like, it was just really, I honestly, like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, you know, like in shock, like you're, you know, this is something that it's like almost like you're a family member, like, you know, cause we were that close, just like, you know, what happened. So it was very, very tough at first to take it. And, you know, um, it just still kind of think about it, you know, think about him and, you know, it's just, it's tough and it was not pleasant, but, you know, we just have to move on from things like that and, and, you know, remember all the good things that what happened with him and, and, and go from there. But yeah, it was, uh, it was not pleasant. One of the more fun moments though, of this whole series and really of the show in, in the nine years we've been doing it uh, was when I had former defenseman Carlo Koliakovo on and we talked about that infamous GIF uh, that, or GIF as, as some people like to incorrectly say, uh, when he came from hitting the boards and the camera caught it right in a really weird spot. <laughs> well, I guess it's funny because it's something that people always remember me in a stupid way. Uh, but uh, it was hilarious. Um, it's, I, I go back to that day and, you know, what people don't understand is that the old Joe Lewis arena, the boards were brick walls. Yeah. like hard as, as a wall. And so what happened in that moment was I was trying to make a play sliding on the puck and I knew I was coming into the boards and I'm thinking to myself, I'm either going to smash headfirst into this thing and break my neck or I'm going to try to brace myself knowing that this is going to hurt. So what I did was I lifted myself up and I braced the impact with the top of my knees. And that's why I made the expression that I did. And then after the game, it's funny uh, I'm walking around and I see a group of guys just, you know, get, getting together and having laughs. And every time I would walk around them, guys would be hiding their phones like they were embarrassed about something. And I'm thinking to myself, what's going on here? Until finally, Eric Johnson says, hey, man, I don't know if you've seen this, but it's pretty hilarious. He shows me and I'm like, I get this awe look in my face. I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell was the camera doing in that spot in that moment? And you just you shake your head and the next thing you know i'm on the bus and my phone's blowing up with all my buddies saying man are you okay what happened here this and that and i'm like yeah it's just one of those things you get caught in the moment and and you know it those those are things that, that make people laugh and for me unfortunately it's something that i'll never be able to remove myself with but it's something that i'll always have fun with because there's nothing i'm embarrassed about i mean it's just one of those embarrassing moments that ended up turning out to be one of the funniest gifts ever created. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about that. <laughs> You'll live forever, Carlo. That's the way forever, I see it. Man, but it's good. It's all good. And how can we forget about the time Mike Weaver uh, came on and discussed his hit on Patrick Sharp and how he actually ran into Sharp 
uh, that next summer at a wedding. Yeah, totally. I, I remember it was was it that summer I ended up going to a wedding and Sh- Sharpie was there too. Yep. So I think that's I, I think I heard that story. Yeah, I I, I, I remember walk, walking walking uh, up to him. I'm like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's it's good, good. No, for sure because that's that's the one thing that's special about hockey you go in and in, in, in how how tough the the stanley cup is you you go in blood sweat and tears trying to go and win that thing and the the handshake uh at the end of uh every series uh is just a special thing to experience the uh the passion and everything is is there but the guys are, are doing that respect factor. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. So even with hockey, hockey guys, look at, look at the, the fighters in the league, they'll go and fight and then all of a sudden have a beer with the guy after. So it's, it's all about, it's all about respect. And that, that's one thing that our, our game has is that respect factor. Also on the heels of the lightning winning the Stanley cup, it's important to note the one non blue we actually had on the show this summer uh, that was Brandon Bullig, former Blackhawk. He actually came on and talked about what it was like to win the Stanley Cup uh, as a Chicago Blackhawk. Um, and then game six in Boston, the, the team had flown all of our families out there, and we were down with like a minute 30 left. We were down by a goal. So we're all thinking, all right, I, you know, maybe we go back to Chicago for game seven, and then hopefully we win it there. Bickle ties it up. 17 seconds later, Bullen takes the lead. Um, and we're going insane. And so then it's like a mat, it's a complete roller coaster thinking you're, thinking you're losing to then thinking, okay, cool. We're going to go to overtime. And then, oh my God, we're actually about to win this thing. Um, and so we, we did bolt out on the ice. Everyone's going absolutely berserk. And I was extremely nervous to say the least to, to touch, to touch the cup, but because I didn't want to drop it, I was like wiping my hands. <laughs> I was wiping my hands like crazy on my jersey, on my pants, and and all that stuff to make sure that they were as dry as could be. And so as soon as I got to touch that thing and uh, and to hoist it and and kiss it and skate around the ice with it, it was just the coolest experience ever, and, and one that of course I I or anybody else that's experienced it will probably never forget. So many great stories uh, came out during this time. I mean, I, it was just amazing, some of the stuff we heard. Uh, but one of the greatest ones, for me at least, came from uh, Jeff Brown. Uh, and he talked about uh, how when he was traded to the St. Louis Blues, goalie Greg Millen was the one that, that kind of brokered the deal with the Blues. Uh, but uh, Millen wasn't exactly happy with what they had to send to get Brown on the Blues. Uh, funny, funny story about that trade. Um, they, uh, at the time I was, I had stayed home. The team was in Buffalo, I think. And, uh, <laughs> coach and I had a little, Michelle Bergeron and I had a little bit of a, a spat. And so he was kind of, uh, leaving me at home, uh, for the road trip. And so I was out by myself. Well, a couple of injured guys and we were shooting pucks at the Coliseum. And St. Louis got there the day before, and uh, they got to the rink, and and Greg Millen was standing beside Brian Sutter and said, uh, "Wow, Sudsy, we could you sure use that guy on our power play because I was taking shots from the blue line, I guess." And uh, I can't remember. Two weeks later, uh, they were in New York City, and uh, 
Millie gets off the bus and Brian says, I need to talk to you. He no. just got traded for that power play. <laughs> he was none too happy. But So after hearing this from Jeff Brown, I thought, man, we have to get Greg Millen on. So I decided to uh, put in a call to Greg Millen. He came on, told us his side of the story. It's kind of, it was kind of funny at the time because don't forget, I mean, I drove with Brian Sutter for, you know, a couple of years. He was a very good friend and now he's my coach. So I'm sitting beside a friend slash coach, just the two of us on the Quebec bench. It's maybe something you wouldn't say to every coach, but I could because of the situation. And I said, geez, Brian, we got to get that guy. I mean, we do, you know, our power play, wouldn't he be something? And he said, yeah, you're right. And uh, two weeks later, the deal was done in New York city and I get called in by Brian and uh, he says, uh, I got uh, news for you. You really like that Brown, huh? I said, yeah, I do. He said, well, we just traded for him. I said, that's great. Fantastic. And then said, he said, no, they traded. It was for you, though. <laughs> <laughs> so to make matters worse, I mean, remember, there's no social media back in the day and everything else. And this didn't happen. There was some confidentiality involved. You know, you, at that point in life, you had a chance to tell your wife first before it got out in the media, unlike today. So I call my wife back in St. Louis and she answers the phone, bonjour, because Jack Quinn's daughter was in the media business and uh, he broke the news before my wife found out about it. So that didn't make me very happy either at the time based on the contract situation. But uh, that's that's how that went down. So she knew before I did, basically. And uh, Sounds like she has a good sense of humor about it, though. Well, yeah, I don't know if there was some sarcasm involved in that or not, but uh, anyway... <laughs> Uh, that was uh, that was interesting, and uh, I mean trades happen. Trades happen, and that's you sign up for that. But it was just a, a funny story that you look back on now. And by the way, another great trade. I mean the Blues made uh, one bad trade getting me, and a really good trade getting rid of me with Brown because he turned out to be a heck of a hockey player. <laughs> yeah. Now that wasn't it for Millen. We also heard a, a great story about a time that he actually was uh, playing for one team, signed with another team. Uh, that summer, and the owner of the original team he was playing for didn't even know that he had signed already with another team. Well, the St. Louis connection is Larry Plo. Uh, Larry right. was the general manager in uh, in Hartford at the time, a brand new general manager, and they were looking to retool things. And I had a a fun series uh, uh, before that, of course, uh, with Pittsburgh uh, playing against the Boston Bruins at the time, and so. Anyway, to make the long, the long and the short of it is, uh, I was, uh, Larry asked us, I believe it was just around the draft, they came up with an offer. And we told Hartford that that's fine, but we owe it to Pittsburgh to go back to them first because they gave me my start in my career. I didn't really want to leave Pittsburgh. And Larry was very kind about it. He said, you go ahead and do that. And if it doesn't work out, we'd love to have you. So we, we did send the offer back to Pittsburgh and said, I, and the story is that Baz didn't really believe us. He thought we were bluffing. And then he went golfing. Uh, we didn't hear from Pittsburgh. We didn't hear from Pittsburgh. And uh, I remember on a Sunday, I got a call in the morning from my uh, agent, who was basically a criminal lawyer at the time, from the Sioux, who I met, Frank Caputo. And he said, uh, well, they want to sign us, and we haven't heard a thing. And, and you know, Hartford's called back. I said, well, I guess we got to sign. Pittsburgh obviously doesn't want me. So that day, we jumped on a plane, uh, went through New York City, ended up running on the tarmac, if you can believe this. Could you imagine that, doing that in this day and age? To <laughs> no catch way. The next, to catch the next plane. Uh, ended up in a small prop job to get to Hartford from New York. Signed uh, that night, on a Sunday night, had dinner at Larry and uh, Wendy Plo's house. 
And then the Monday morning, I got a call from the president of the Pittsburgh Penguins, the late Paul Martha, and he said, uh, I heard you just signed. And we said, what do you mean you heard? We told you. He said, well, you know, nobody told me this. He said, what if we offer you a U.S. steal? I said, I'd love U.S. steal, but it's too late. We've already signed. And that was the end of the story. And uh, the president never found out from the manager. The manager never told anybody that we had an offer. I mean, there are so many other great things that came out of these interviews, and, and I was lucky enough to be a part of them. I hope you've listened to them. I hope you've watched the videos that accompanied them. You can find them all on Facebook, uh, YouTube as well, and then, of course, any podcast platform you have. They're all on there. Make sure you check them all out. These uh, these interviews with Blues alumni, with Ken Wilson, with uh, Brandon Bolig, and then, of course, just the, the other greats that I've mentioned, and, and even others uh, that, that haven't been mentioned, like Curtis Sanford. Uh, check them out. I mean, it's been, it, it was just so much fun to learn about these guys. Uh, so again, any podcast platform, Facebook, YouTube, make you, make sure you check it out there. Uh, we're going to close up the show. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, make sure you check out the let's go blues.com shop for shirts and stickers. Uh, subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are on Apple uh, make sure you give us that five-star rating. That helps people find the show. Uh, also, uh, if you're on Twitter, uh, make sure you follow us. Uh, the show Twitter is at LGB Radio. Uh, my Twitter is at jponder94. Other hosts of the show, Kurt Price. Kurt is at Kurt Price. Uh, Bill Day is at Billy Blue Note. And, of course, we are on Facebook and Instagram as well, so we encourage you to follow us there as we're constantly posting stuff. Uh, so again, thank you everybody for watching. Uh, next show, we're going to do a live show ahead of free agency. Uh, Kurt and Bill are going to join me and we're going to be on next week sometime, probably Wednesday. And we're going to do a live show talking about uh, the big free agency period coming up as the season is officially over. So make sure you tune in for that. Well, thanks everybody. I really appreciate it. And thanks to all the great guests we had this summer. Looking forward to continuing this and getting some more uh, great guests uh, in the future because uh, this was definitely a lot of fun for me and I know it was fun for a lot of the listeners. Thanks, everybody, and let's go Blues. Uh, the Chiefs are at home tonight against Cyanusport at the War Memorial at 8. Good seats are still available. A look at sports. I think that went very well. Thank you for listening to Let's Go Blues Radio. Now take off, hosers. Well... There's 90 minutes of your life you'll never get back. Sorry. St. Louis Blues, St. Louis Blues, have you heard the news about our St. Louis Blues? They've only just begun, they're on their way to number one, now there's no more blues for our St. Louis Blues. The Blues are on the ice tonight again, they're rough and tough and got the stuff to win. They'll always get one more, no matter what the score. They are quite a hockey team, my friend.